Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. And I'm Murray Robinson. Hi, I'm Martin Almang. Hi, Martin. Thanks for coming on. We want to talk today about the difference between product managers and product owners. What are they? What's the difference? Why does it matter? But before we jump into that, Martin, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with product development, software development, Scrum yeah. and Agile? Yeah. So I actually started as a marketing manager developing software products. So very much as a stakeholder. Then I slowly moved towards the development team, being a QA, a business analyst. And then I became a scrum master. And then ultimately I became a product owner. And now more recently head of product at a startup with around 40 people developing project management software, SaaS project management software. So what's interesting is I kind of played all the roles on the scrum team and I'm still very much in the trenches. I hope that's why my writing resonates with people because I do my best to understand the theory, but I'm still very much rooted in the real world. Just like your podcast, no nonsense. How do you get stuff done? And not like, okay, this is what the scrum guide says and that's how you should be doing it. I don't like that at all. That's a dogmatic way of doing things. So what is the problem here? Why do we need a product manager at all? Why can't we just have a product owner? Yeah, it's a very big issue. People don't immediately get it after reading the Scrum Guide. And the world of product management also doesn't get it. If you go to Scrum trainings, it's very much expected that the product owner is a product management expert. So you have the person who understands product vision, the strategy, the roadmap, and all aspects from discovery, delivery, and validation. That's very much the expectation. And I think one of the big problems is in Scrum, the product owner is a single person in the sense that it's defined as an accountability and all the responsibilities can be delegated, but in the teams, who can do those product management capabilities, right? That's the big question, I think, which they don't answer uh, in the Scrum Guide. Yeah, I've certainly seen product owners who've been overwhelmed by the amount of work that, that they have to do. And they've complained about having to work 12 hours a day to keep up with the team. It's a pretty common problem. Yeah, so I can actually tell a personal story. I was working as a product owner at a startup with a, around 10 teams. I had five teams under my belt. I was the only person with five teams because they're kind of like, let Martin do everything. Maybe I'm bad at saying no because I like doing things, but I had five teams and I was constantly being chased by everyone. I always felt like I was extinguishing fires. I told my manager six months more like this and I quit. Like, and I think that's pretty strong if you tell that to your manager. And so this is what surprises me is. If you look at frameworks like less, where they claim like a product owner can handle eight teams, I don't think that fits with the real world. If, if I ask practitioners who I very much respect, they are talking about maybe two teams, max four. And it also really depends on your context and, and how mature your teams are, but eight teams, that's insanity. Maybe Shane, you can relate to that, but I think that's not realistic at all. <laughs> yeah. I think if you look at eight teams in a 40 hour week, what's that? five hours a team with no downtime, but what's that half a day? So what do you do? Yeah. Give them beginning of Monday and let them go off on their own for the rest of the four and a half days, or is it an hour a day? That's just not enough. So if we look at a scrum coach, I've seen experienced scrum coaches be able to help two teams. It's still hard because which team gets the morning, which team gets the afternoon, there's still time slicing, right? But, but they can normally manage it. I haven't typically seen product owners 
work with multiple teams. And I suppose that's because most of the time we're struggling to find the product owner. But typically in large organizations, somebody who's not so busy gets given the product owner job and isn't delegated authority. They become a proxy for somebody else. But when I've worked with organizations where we started to scale the teams, we got to that problem of, well, do we have a product owner of product owners? Is it called a product manager? What's their accountability versus the product owner for the team? And yeah, haven't seen a great pattern yet that I, that I'd want to repeat. Well, I just wanted to jump in there on, on the problem of the absentee product owner, cause that's another very common issue where the product owner gives you four hours a week for a team of say six people. And then the team basically has to try and work out what the product does themselves because they get these kind of vague directions or just do it, or this is the most important thing. So, I mean, in that case, we've used a business analyst to, to support the absentee product owner. Yeah. That's a way of solving it. What, what I very much like, like to do. So I think we should separate the discussion in different things, right? So you have like discovery, like how, how do we figure out what we should be doing? You've got the delivery part, and then you've got the validation part. Like we delivered something. Did we achieve what we intended to achieve? Do we need to change it? Scrum is about self-managing teams, right? So the delivery part, I think you can really cover quite well as a product owner. If you set clear goals and you explain the context, but then if you really look at the, the discovery and validation part, which is way more open-ended and even more uncertainty, that is, I think, very difficult to delegate to teams without having someone who really understands that whole process in the teams. I think that most teams think that the product owner is there to serve them yeah. so that the product owner then must be focused on the software development, but software development is only part of what a, of the product. So in addition to software development, there's market research, customer research, competitor analysis, stakeholder management, business case development, finances, customer service. When I learned about product management and I've been a product manager of a non-software product, we were encouraged and expected to get involved in customer service issues because that would tell us what problems people were having with the product. So there's a lot more to product management than development teams think there is, I, I reckon. So I call this the sprint bubble, right? So the development teams are working in this sprint bubble where they're working on delivering a product increment. And when I joined this startup as a head of product, the first thing I did was actually talking to customers, sitting on sales calls, sitting on customer success calls, looking at support tickets. That's where I tried to spend most of my time. I think that's super important because if you just focus on delivery, then basically there's a long list of things that your predecessor left and you're just going to deliver features you don't know if he or she did a good job. And I think it's really important that you understand who is our customer, what are their pain points? How can we make their lives better? Because that's ultimately what a product is about, improving the life of customer and capturing that business value. That doesn't start with building something. Building something is a very slow way of learning. It starts with far simpler things, like just talking to customers, reading support tickets. And I think. That is where a product owner should spend most of their time, not in the teams. It's interesting to see how Scrum has been 
pursuing the idea of a product owner as a product manager. We were talking to Al Shalloway recently, and he said that, that Ken Schwaber was totally against the idea of a product owner as a product manager a few years ago. But now Scrum seems to be wanting the product owner to take on product manager responsibilities. Is that how you see it too? Yeah. If I read books written by the scrum.org stewards, they very much talk about product management in line with product ownership. So I think that stance is changing and I think that they have to change. I think there's this big rift between product management and scrum at the moment. If you read all the product management books, they're not really talking about scrum. They are talking about agile, but not so much about scrum. And Marty Kagan recently wrote an article and I believe the title was the process people. I believe it was really about scrum. And yeah, I think that that's really, really concerning. I'm very much part of both of these worlds and, and I'm on all these famous scrum Slack channels. And if you look at the kind of questions scrum masters ask most of the time, they're very much related to delivery and doing scrum, but the purpose of scrum is to deliver value, right? So. I don't see enough questions like, how do we come up with a product vision? What is a good product strategy? Or how do we set a good product goal? Because if you don't do those things properly, then you're going to be doing the wrong thing and you can do that the right way, but it still will be shit. So isn't that a sign of success of Scrum? So Scrum was there to solve the software delivery problem. It yeah. It's showing that it's been successful. So now it's reaching out and trying to solve some of the other problems that haven't been solved. So. We had Jared Spool on a while ago around where UX fit in the delivery cycle, because normally it was done at the beginning and then handed over to the sprint bubble. So isn't the conversations now about where does a product manager fit just mean that the sprint bubble is getting bigger. We're saying, well, there's all these other things that the teams are dependent on. How do we involve those things as part of the process? Where does that role sit? Is it you know, a current role like a product owner can adopt or do we need a new role? So for me, it's a sign of success that. We're trying to solve new problems. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, Shane. I, I think it's the right direction for Scrum and Agile to go in. So it's a good thing. I just want to recognize that it, it's a change. And I think there's quite a bit of confusion now. As you say, Marty Kagan, who's pretty famous as a Silicon Valley product development guru, was complaining about the process people and Scrum. There's not enough focus on product. Also, I've read some other product people on LinkedIn and they generally don't care about Scrum, don't think about it. And in fact, it's very common to divide the product owner role up so that there's one person who's responsible for traditional product management research, development, business cases, SWOT analysis and pricing, then a technical project manager who implements the product plan, and then a product marketing manager who's a third person. So I see pr product development gurus recommending that, but surely the product manager needs to be close to the technical development team. Yeah. So there's kind of like a chasm between product management and Scrum, but there's also a part where there is complete agreement. I'm once again, going to talk about Marty Kagan. So empower teams, right? Yeah. In Scrum, we call it self-organizing or self-managing teams. It's the same thing. Like you want to have short value feedback loops. 
Yeah. If you have, just have short delivery feedback loops, that means that the value feedback loops will be somewhere else in some layers, which means you have longer feedback loops. And as we know, when you do software development, you're doing complex work, which means you want to have short feedback loops. And yeah. all those layers never help. I completely agree with you on feedback loops because in traditional product and project management, there's this idea that you can somehow define this product up front and then you just build it and go to market and it will be a success, right? And you might spend, you know, $10 million doing that, but we already know that two thirds of products fail in the market. And it turns out that the reason is that we're not very good at working out what customers want in advance. There's just a lot of uncertainty. So we have to test things and the best way to test things is through rapid feedback loops. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one of the dangers with Scrum because there's this focus on the sprints and delivering a product increment. That's a slow way of getting feedback. And then, then you see Jeff Patton talks about dual track agile, like this discovery stream can be kind of slow. I know it, I'm working in a startup, just getting an interview with customers. I need to send them an email and then they respond a week later. I think you should try to keep it as short as possible, but, but believing that everything has to happen from discovery to delivery in a single sprint, that's not realistic, I think. These things take time. You need to think about it and you, and you get feedback and then you find out we need to build a prototype first and then you need to plan. These things are not that fast. And yeah, I do think you should aim for short feedback loops, but forcing everything to happen in a sprint, that's not realistic. That's my experience at least. That's my experience too. I think it, it's because there's got to be a funnel of potential features which you explore and then based on feedback, you prioritize some of them and then you build them. So you're not going to take every product feature that you're doing discovery on through to build and nor should you, you should actually try not to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think a lot of teams think this way and, and they're just like, do everything in a sprint. And I don't think that sprint myopia is helpful. We need to be pragmatic and, and yeah, adjust to the reality that discovery is slow and messy. And then when you have done that, then you're going to build something and you should do that in a way that you still get feedback and you adapt things. So how do you handle that? What's the best practical way of handling that with an agile team? Do you do discovery stories or something like that? No, I don't do discovery stories. I believe team members should be close to the customers because in the end, what we're doing is we're making a difference for the customer. And what I tend to do is just hopping on calls with customers and sometimes inviting developers so that they understand what are they doing? What is their context? What are their goals? What are their pain points? Because ultimately writing code is a mean to an end. If you don't involve them in the full context of what we're trying to do, then you will not get the best solutions because then you'll just limit them to the tech bubble. But everything we do in the tech area has an impact on, on, on the value you're delivering. Because if you build something in a very complicated way, then there's a big risk. All that polish is going to be thrown away because value uncertainty that's, is the most uncertain thing we have. <laughs> so let me just do a comparison about some things I like about a product owner and things I don't like from a scrum centric view and, and how I relate that to the product manager. So I like the fact that a product owner gives the team one person to talk to, to get trade-off decisions made. I, I like that because it reduces cycle time. There's yeah. less wait time. They have somebody who's empowered to make a decision, a value trade-off, 
and they can get a response back and carry on. So I love that. I think that's a high value pattern. I'm not so keen that the product owner tends to be the only one talking to customers because the team should be as close to the customer as they can to get feedback, to get that, that tone, to get that feel, to get the unconscious behavior coming back to them and adjusting because of that. And I see the same thing with a product manager. I see value in a product manager creating the forward roadmap, the time horizon, the investment strategy of what do we think has the most value for this organization right now? So. The teams aren't having to go through many, many boring meetings where people in power argue about what the next most valuable thing to build is, right? I see massive value in the product manager managing that process, but I still struggle that the product managers seem to become the proxy for the customer again, like a product owner. So do you see that? Do you see those, those behaviors replicated into a product manager just at a different scale? Yeah, I think. The main challenge is because there's so much emphasis on delivery, there's this feature factory, we need to deliver this. And there's this roadmap nine months in the future focused on features. Yeah. Those kind of things then put the, the developers in delivery mode and everything else is a distraction. If, if you don't solve it at a higher level and get everybody on the same page, that delivering value is a messy thing. And, and, and I always use the following analogy, delivering features, like uh, telling a joke. If people don't laugh, you don't know if you've delivered value. I think that's the key thing. It's all about listening. It's kind of like a musician. If you would know upfront, I, I, if I write song X, it's going to be hit. The musicians will be doing that. And that's not how it works. <laughs> you don't know upfront how people are going to respond. And it's the same with product development. There is no magical formula uh, that, that, that guarantees success. And yet the way nearly all organizations work is that it's assumed that managers just know and IT is going to build it and then they're going to use it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very difficult. So that's why I spend a lot of time with my stakeholders to explain them that if we develop a feature, just because somebody says we need feature X doesn't mean we know it's going to make a difference for our customers. and. I also talk about examples of things we've delivered in the past where you can show, hey, we built this, everybody wanted it and nobody's using it to show that simply we don't know. And that's why we need to find a, a way of working that deals with the fact that we don't know and decreases this value uncertainty and, and increases the confidence that we have that what we're doing is on the right track. And I think that uncertainty makes people feel super uncomfortable. And I believe that's rooted in our education system, because at university, but also at uh, high school, you have perfect information available. You get the book and study the book, you can get a perfect score. And in software development, you're limited by what I call the fog of beforehand, which you don't know before starting. That's the first problem. And then when you do start, you learn all these new things you didn't know before. And the second problem is we always believe we know more than we actually do. And these are two really, 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 really big sources of noise that we are not that familiar with dealing in the right way. Sticking your nose in the book and then analyzing everything just will make things worse. You're just going to magnify the noise. Yeah. I mean, the, the comment around the school system, especially in my side of the world resonates with me. So, um, we've got a, a thing that's come through the podcast regularly for a while, which is hierarchical organizations that started in the seventies behave in a certain way. And it's very different to you know, agile type organizations that started in the 2010s. And I still see the same thing with the school system. It's still based around 
factoryization of people follow the leader. I don't think, but I think we're starting to see a little bit of agility coming into this school curriculum, at least in, in my part of the world. So that idea of uncertainty though, does the product manager reduce the uncertainty more than uh, a product owner? I, I believe both should be working towards that same goal. Are we building the right thing? That's the, the most important question because if we're build, not building the right thing, building it the right way and getting the time to market, nailing it, doesn't matter. Like the best thing would have been to not build it. And I think that's the main thing both should be focusing on. But unfortunately, very often what you see, product owner gets sucked in the sprint bubble, creating backlog items. And we have a feature factory where the question, are we building the right thing is left very much unanswered until after we've already built it and invested the money. And that's a slow way of learning. Usually we don't find out until much later on anyway. So it's built and then it doesn't go to users until there's some marketing release. So it could be months before yeah. you find out. And then the setting of the metric or the indicator that delivered value is hard as well. So how do we measure that this thing we spent, you know, three weeks building, uh, recovered enough value that we expected. So they're all hard problems to solve. What do you think about this? dual track idea of having a design team who does this work and then feeds it into the dev team and then while the dev team's building it they go and do some more work for a second team yeah so i don't like silos but even though you need to have cross-functional teams it doesn't mean that there cannot be any specialization so i think you should aim to being collaborative and involving each other but I don't think you have to do everything together, but I don't think having a separate team, just doing that and then throwing it over the fence. If you involve them, then there really is common understanding. Okay. This is what we're trying to solve. This is why it matters. And it saves so much time down the line. So yeah, it might appear that having them work closely together might slow you down, but in the end, it really speeds you up because the moment you really start delivering, they know how it works. Writing it down perfectly doesn't become as important. That's why I'm not that in favor of doing that. Like I'm in favor of having non-overlapping work, but I'm not in favor of really separating it out. <laughs> I like the idea of having a designer in the team. So a user experience designer, maybe a UI designer, depends on, on how UI heavy your product is, but having somebody with the skills to do customer research and prototyping, discovery, validation, and with the mindset of that, that you're not going to build everything. I've seen it work quite well. Have you tried that? Yes, I, I really liked it as well. I mostly worked at startup and scale-ups that, yeah, doing this UI, like making stuff really nice. And then you have the UX research. Those are very different specializations. And what you usually see is you hire someone who does both. And they're usually good at one of the two, but not at both. And that I think is one of the main challenges there. But, but on the other hand, many organizations are not going to hire two different people. <laughs> it's just too expensive, I guess. It is too expensive. I think if they're not going to be productively used, but what I've also seen work quite well is to have one UX designer work across two teams and one UI designer work across two teams so that they're, they're part-time or if we use a scrum nexus model, you have an integration 
team that would have those people in it because they're providing a service to a few teams that are working on a similar thing. I thought that was pretty good too. What what do you think? I believe it should be part of the teams and whether it's one team, multiple teams, as long as there's this flexibility. I've been in situations where the UI and UX was part of a separate team. They had their own planning and everything. And then you get so many coordination problems and the team is working on something that the UI UX team has delivered. Then it turns out they missed some stuff, right? Or some stuff was misunderstood. Then they need them. And then they're like, no, sorry, we're busy. And then everything slows down and you don't want that. So I think it should be very much part of the teams. And what you're proposing, like having multiple teams and having these two specializations, I've never done it. So it's very hard for me to come, but, but I believe it's definitely something that could work and, and worth trying. What do you do, Shane? Because your startup, there's what, about five or six of you now, and you're kind of doing product owner and product manager and all those other things. So how are you making sure that you're building things that people actually want? So I struggle. So none of us work physically together ever. They are geographically dispersed across time time zones. So that forced us down a, a flow process, right? Where everybody works in relative isolation. So we focus on how, when somebody's done work, we can hand it off to the next person with the least amount of friction. Uh, so we use Figma. Sometimes we'll have a prototype in Figma that Tomas can just pick up at the still kind of same design system, same patterns. He gets it, right? There's a few questions, but he just nails it. So ideally it would be UX first, then a bit of plumbing and then a bit of app dev, but it never works that way. As a product owner slash manager, I'm that novice. I'm trying to get to practitioner. So it's all new to me. So I do lots of reading and I don't understand half of it because it doesn't make sense to me of how the hell do you just make this work? It you know, just sounds like bullshit. It's all fluffy theory and nothing I can action. With the teams I coach in data and analytics and the large hierarchical-based organizations, very different process. We don't have a product manager until we have a scaling problem. That's the only time we introduce them because it's not part of how they work. So I think the way of working for smaller teams and the moment you go to more teams is just very different. And it also really depends on how your teams are structured. So the moment you have component teams, you end up with coordination nightmares. When you have feature teams, you will still have coordination problems often, but they can be better resolved by having an overall roadmap and then saying, hey, this is what matters most. And if you need help from another team, then it's clear, okay, we should help them out because this is what matters most. And that's what I see after scene going wrong. The moment you go to this multi-team setup, there will be, for example, individual team roadmaps or conflicting OKRs, and it's very unclear what the priority is. And then the moment they need each other, it's a, a fight with each other, and uh, they sort it out together, and ultimately find out what, what has been dropped off without anybody having control. That's what I see very much happening in practice often. Yeah, and for me, it's a scaling problem. So, you know, after seven years, we're going to be an overnight success because we're bootstrapping, not VC funded. So success is happy customers and profit, not a billion dollars in funding from people's pension funds. And so I'm thinking about when we get to that stage, how do we scale? And one of the things that I liked about the Spotify development thinking was how do you then scale your product teams, right? How do you isolate them from 
as much change by another team as you can. And so we've designed our product in a way that I have a theory of how I'm going to go to four or five delivery teams with the product with as little friction as possible. But until I try it, it's only a theory, right? Yeah, scaling is a big issue. The, the thing I see being recommended these days is that you have a product manager and a number of product owners report to them. So the, the product manager is there because they're working at a bigger picture level and they are working with the stakeholders and focus more on the, the customers and the product owners are also working with customers and users, but, but much closer to the team. Have you seen that model, Martin? If so, what do you think of it? Yeah, I, I think if you look at scrum at skill, you have like a chief product owner and a product owner. Yeah. I believe with less, you have like a product owner and product area owners. And yep. I think the basic idea behind it is probably pretty similar. You have someone more uh, focusing on the global optimization of value, like the big picture stuff, making sure that all those teams make decisions that add up to a bigger whole. And yeah, I believe that model can work as long as the teams are very much empowered, involved in everything, the vision, the strategy, like the moment you have a single person saying, this is the vision, this is the strategy, good luck, like throwing it over the fence. I really believe that if you want to have empowered teams, they have the best information and, and they learn so much every day. As long as there's this tight interaction between the, the vision, the high and the strategy and the roadmap and everything those teams are doing, then I believe it can work. But, uh, yeah, calling it product manager, I don't think that's apt because it's probably more like a VP of product or a chief product officer. It's not a, just a product manager. It's a person with a lot of responsibility. I mean, this all depends on the size of an organization because in, in one organization, somebody who's responsible for 30 people with three or four teams yeah. is part of the executive. So they might have a title like that, but in another organization, they're a low level manager because the organization has 30,000 staff. But I do agree that product managers have a lot of responsibility. I, I think of product manager as being like the VP or CEO of the, the product. They should be responsible for developing a product that, that people want, that makes the business money or achieves the business's goals. And that's technically feasible. So balancing desirability, viability, and feasibility. So, so it's quite a big job. Yeah. Now what's interesting is, so what you're just describing as the product manager, that's what Scrum believes the product owner is. And then the teams need to take care of some of that responsibility. So it's all a nomenclature thing. In the end, it's the responsibilities, I think the, the, they just call it the product owner. And then in the teams, you need to have this product management expertise. It's going to either be done by that product owner who you call product manager, or you have people in there who have that expertise. Yeah. One of the techniques I use to get a better understanding is I look for the anti-patterns. If somebody could describe to me the adding patterns of what it's not, it gives me more clarity of what it might be. So, so let me throw a couple of anti-patterns, I think, at the product manager role and, and tell me whether I'm right. So we have a product owner. They've been a product owner for a while. They need a promotion. Therefore the next most senior role is call them product manager. Is that a pattern or an anti-pattern? I believe it's, it's an anti-pattern because it just makes things very confusing. If you look at how the scrum guide defines a product owner role, 
then that doesn't make sense in my opinion. Like the product owner is very much the ultimately answerable person for the value of the product. So putting a product manager on top, you can do that, but I think it conflicts with the idea behind the product owner as defined in the Scrum Guide. You can do it, of course, but I think it would be better to give that person another title, which is more appropriate because they're really owning the product. And if you have a really small startup with few teams, then you just have a product owner or a product manager. I don't think it really matters <laughs> as long as they're part of the teams and accountable. Okay. So the next one is product management's a career, product owner's domain expertise. So what I mean by that is if you've got a delivery team and you're the domain expert, you're the product owner. But if you're able to jump into the product manager role in a domain you don't understand, um, then you're a career product manager. You have a whole lot of skills and experience. You're an expert or a coach level, and therefore that level of expertise makes you the product manager. Is that a pattern or anti-pattern? Well, I think being a product owner, the prerequisite is that you have this product management expertise. So yeah, I think that's part of taking on the role. And if you don't have this product management expertise, then I think you will really struggle being a product owner because it's about maximizing value and product management is the field, the very how do you say novel broad field <laughs> lots of new product owners who don't have experience get appointed product owner and they struggle okay i got one one more so i have a team and it's got a product owner we're doing really well i'm going to scale out to 10 teams therefore i need a product manager role to sit and look at the discovery and the validation to do some work early and late that's outside the delivery cycle because that has value of me because we're at a scale that that work being done early and late has value. Is that, is that a pattern or an anti-pattern for the product manager role? Well, I think it's a pattern which always causes problems. So this is the thing about Scrum. They're very finicky. So as long as you call the person ultimately responsible, the product owner, everything else, like all the product management. So what I very much see in practice, so this is the reality, right? There are multiple product owners and there's usually one person accountable who's not called the product owner. They're usually like the CPO or the VP of product, they're not as involved with the teams, but all their product owners who are reporting to them are. So how you call it, I don't care. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there is one person uh, accountable and all the product management expertise is part of the teams. So I think that's very much a pattern because that gets these short feedback loops that I think are really important. And uh, I also think Murray loves them. I do. Hey, I wanted to talk about what I think is in product management that's maybe not discussed in Scrum So and see what you think. So first of all, a product manager doesn't have to use Scrum. A product manager could be a product manager for a waterfall project or the team could be using Lean or Kanban. Yes. Yeah? I so very much agree with that. Yeah, so product management is more than Scrum. Scrum is just one way of achieving your product. Also, your product might not be anything to do with software. So there might be no software developers or technical people. Hopefully there's some sort of engineering, but it might not be in the digital software development domain that we're familiar with. Yeah? Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that can happen. Yeah, I mean, that's also uh, Scrum, what you can see is it, the Scrum Guide kind of evolves and it's kind of now for solving, I think, complex problems. Yeah. And it also claims that it's been proven in many domains not related to software. Yeah, I've actually used Scrum in a sales and marketing team for helping them organize their own work and it worked quite well. However, 
nearly everybody who do, does Scrum and Agile is thinking about it from a software point of view. I know it, they don't have to, but they, they do tend to. I, I would say that a product owner or product manager has to think a lot about dollars. They need to do a business case typically to get funding to develop a product and they need to be concerned about profitability. And I don't see anything about money at all in the scrum guide. Yeah. Well, it's not explicitly mentioned, but maximizing value, that is the responsibility to product owner. And it's very generic, but I think, I believe it covers both sides of the equation because you have the, the customer value. And then ultimately you can need to capture that value somehow. And I think one of the biggest challenges in my opinion is it's very difficult to make business cases for many things. For example, if you're working on an e-commerce platform and you're going to be adding a new payment method to a specific market, I think you can make a really good business case. I think you can estimate pretty well how much time it will take, how much money it's supposed to bring in, because there's a lot of data available. But now imagine you're working on a SaaS product. And basically you find out it takes five minutes to plan a project and you think of something to reduce that time to four minutes, right? Which is a lot of time saved. And of course you can attach some kind of monetary value for the project manager to it, but how much money will it bring in the bank in terms of subscriptions? I, I think it sometimes is very difficult to tie this customer value to business value, even though it's immediately evident if you're building a project management software that you're making a big difference for your customers if you achieve that. And that I think is one of the big challenges because what I very often see is I worked at companies where they make business cases for everything and mm -hmm. then cost of delay, right? So they kind of use that or uh, what, uh, wait to short the jo job first, as they call it in safe, to prioritize everything. And what I found is actually this business case for this payment method doesn't get prioritized, even though it's guaranteed money. And because a lot of these other business cases, they are just people making up numbers because their domain, they want it to be important and it gets prioritized. And because it's very difficult to provide accurate numbers for those things. It's a shuffling imaginary value around in your business case. I think it's really hard to do well. That's my experience at least, but I'm also very curious to hear, hear your experience, Murray. Maybe I'm too blunt on this. <laughs> no, I think you're completely right. I've worked for, you know, major telcos and insurance companies and done business cases. And the, the senior executive had already decided that they wanted to do something. And so our job was to make a business case that looked like it would be profitable to get through all the accounting loops. So we had to keep changing all the figures until it gave the accountants what they wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's common. The other thing I think, which it's, it's not clear how you do some of these things in scrum is sales and marketing and customer service, because that's critical to product management as well. Yeah. So are you specifically referring to, for example, a support issue or, or a customer is unhappy and have a problem and it needs to be fixed? So you need people on the phone to talk to customers, to help them get on board and then to help them with difficulties they're having and also to provide feedback to the team to say, Hey, that looks like this is a problem, but it's not all just bug raising. A lot of it's handholding and education and that yeah. sort of thing. I think in scrum, they would call them uh, generically stakeholders in the sense that you need to be very close to them, listen to them and ask them, how are our customers doing? What's going well? What isn't going well? 
And the key thing is every time someone picks up the phone and there's an issue, what is the problem? Because you probably don't want them to pick up the phone because that means the product isn't self-evident or there's a problem they're encountering or something isn't obvious. And this is all information that you can use to make your product better. And I think that's the key thing. You need to be very close with customer success, especially for the onboarding part, but as well, the retention, those are really key things where they can provide a lot of valuable information and same with supports. So the product manager or product owner is liaising closely with those stakeholders and, and helping to bring that information into the development team. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. What, what about sales and marketing though? You're doing advertising campaigns, you're doing Google ads or TV ads or something. Yeah. At my current job, I'm also very closely talking to them, understanding why are we winning deals? Why are we losing deals? This is all input, which we need to take into account. And what I believe is very important is in the end, what very often happens is there is a strategy, there's a vision and there's a roadmap, but if you don't include those stakeholders, then you're not going to maximize the delivery of value. And I think that's the key thing. I think the very difficult part of a the job of a product owner or a product manager is as an orchestra conductor. This might sound strange, but an orchestra conductor, they don't make a sound, right? And actually an orchestra can play without an orchestra conductor. But they actually did this. They did an experiment. It sounds better with an orchestra conductor. Somebody needs to make decisions on what are we going to do? Because there's always way more ideas, way more problems, way more struggles than you're able to solve in a short period of time. And that requires somebody who, who applies the right focus. And I think that's really the product owner or product manager job to apply the right focus. Because ultimately, a lot of it is just about saying no. How do you do that in a good way? And how do you decide what to say no to? And I think that's really a key characteristic of a good product owner or product manager. Yeah, I think maybe we should summarize. What do you think, Shane? All right. So I've been thinking about startup scale-ups versus older hierarchical organizations. And I have a hypothesis based on some of the things you said that if we look at startup scale-ups, we're pretty much always going to see a product manager role of some sort in those organizations. It's core to what they do. When we go to those big hierarchical organizations, we probably won't see that role. I think that's interesting. The more agile organizations tend to have the role, whether they're following Scrum or not. I think the next thing for me was you talked about feedback loops, or both you did, and there was a comment about, yeah, we want our teams to be as close to the customer as possible. But when we have a product manager, I think you said we want our teams to be as close to the product manager as well, right? So the product manager is not sitting outside, never talking to the teams and handing documents down. We want them to be close. So I think that's really important when you have that role, that, that feedback loop has to be close and closed. I don't think there is a product manager in Scrum. I think product managers come in when we need to scale. The Scrum doesn't scale. No, I'm not talking, we might do Scrum of Scrums. We might do less. We might do Nexus, right? We may use other ways of scaling that are Scrum centric, but yeah, we interchange product owner and product manager and that's dangerous. So I don't think when we have a pure Scrum way of working that the, we should ever use the word product manager. It's just a product owner and they just do those value decisions as part of their role. That's why they're there. When we do scale, I start to struggle as always. So we talked about uh, product manager uh, manages the product owners. We go back to a hierarchical fiefdom. 
So to me, that's a no. That is, if you have a product manager who's managing all your product owners, that's a pastoral or a coaching role. It's not a product manager role. So just don't do it. When we talk about discovery, delivery, and validation, so the product manager is at the front and at the end, they're doing some of the value work there early in and late because it's a way of scaling. I don't like it because it's very much like pipelining and I'm not a great fan of pipelining the work because of all the consequences, but I will often work with teams where they do it because it's the only way they can scale and it's successful. So, okay, I, I can see some real value in the product manager doing that early discovery work uh, and thinking about the validation and proving it at the end. It's got value to the team in terms of success, funding, ability to carry on, self-organization and all that kind of cool stuff. So I kind of. I kind of don't like it, but I can live with it and I don't have anything better. So it's good. I love Sprint Bubble. That's going into my word. And for me, the last one, I think we should call them product leaders. As Murray knows, I, I don't like project manager. I don't like product manager. What are they managing, right? They're, they're leading, right? They're setting the value conversation. They're having conversations with stakeholders about what we should invest in and what we shouldn't, what has value to the organization, what may not. It's a leadership role. And if we do that, then they can be called chief product officer or VP of product or whatever title we want to give them because it's a senior leadership role in the organization, not a management role. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. So the, the most important thing I've learned is I think there's not one right way of doing it. It's very situational. And as long as you keep the end goal in mind, having these short feedback loops, I think that's what we're aiming for. Then you have to think about how can we make that happen? What's the best way of achieving that? And, and that's very situational. And the only thing which I'm really adamant about is what I don't like is if you have one person talking to the customers and another person talking to the team, and then uh, you have the team and you have too many layers. I really think that this person who understands the customer needs to be as close to the team as possible. And preferably this knowledge is part of the team. Uh, that's their job to make sure that they lose this customer understanding. And yeah, adding all these layers just, just makes life difficult. Layers means longer Facebook loops. That's, that's the only thing I'm pretty adamant about. And that's also why I don't really like the safe solution. I think the other scaling frameworks offer better solutions. Yeah, I agree with, with a lot of what you're saying, Martin. I just probably would say that product owner is a scrum concept and you can do product management without a product owner because you don't have to do scrum to develop products correct no but i agree i agree on that completely yeah also i think actually scrum can trap you inside a conceptual framework which restricts your um, ability to think about things like flow so i i really like kanban as well as scrum i i would do scrum ban a lot but I, I think that there's more to the world and more to product management than there is in the Scrum Guide. And I would just hope that people could read more broadly and think more broadly. I'm not saying there's no value in Scrum. No, I'm saying that there's a great deal of value in Scrum. I like it a lot. But I think I would like people to also read Marty Kagan's things, including some that are critical. And Jeff Gotthoff. Uh, there's a lot of user experience design in, in product management which we haven't talked about much, but I think is really important. And then there's a lot of business stuff in there, which we do as well. So I, I think that people in scrum teams generally don't understand what product managers do. And they complain a lot that they're not there 
for them, but they're off working with sales and marketing and customer service and they should be, they should be doing that. And if they're not available, the agile team should help them as much as possible. They should help them define the details. Why is a product manager or product owner expected to write detailed user stories? That doesn't seem necessary. No, completely agree. So I don't do that. And I think the key thing there is it's your job as a product owner or product manager to help make those team empowered. And uh, yeah, yeah. If, as long as you do that, then whenever you're unavailable, they're going to make the best decision they can. And then when they sync up again, if they made a different decision than you would have had, you can have a conversation about it. Maybe they made a different, better decision. Maybe there was something they didn't know yet. And then you ask some questions. The way I look at it is every time they need you, there is something missing. What is that thing that is missing? And can I provide it or teach them? And as long as you have that way of working over time, they should need you less. And I think that's really key because otherwise you're going to be a bottleneck by design and everybody will be miserable. I agree with you. And if you empower and educate the team to take on more accountability and responsibility themselves, then that, that frees you up to look at more of the strategic issues and to spend more time with customers, which I think, I think is higher value really, and probably going to make your life a lot better as a product manager too. Yeah. All right. Love it. What do you think, Shane? Yep, I think that was a good one. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a great session. All right. Thanks, Martin. Hey, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me and uh, thanks for being patient. And I hope it will be a great episode and people will like it. That was the No Nonsense Agile podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help with Agile, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening. 